Hello and welcome back to the fancy fantasy football podcast that isn't about fantasy football at all. This is what you've been waiting for, the second half of the Groundhog Day movie and time loop movie in general discussion with Johnny Rhodes. Uh, as I said, we went extremely long when we recorded, and I wanted to divide it up into two parts. This is the second part. Uh, I hope you enjoy, and I hope this is the start of a beautiful annual tradition discussing time movies in general. We started with the grandfather of them all, Groundhog Day, and so we really dived deep, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Bye. All right, John. Let's go top three, bottom three. Let's do it. I'll start. I'm going to just say... If you if you listen to the holiday ones, almost all of those were bad movies. Uh, there are varying levels of bad movies. This is a classic that is great. This is a ten out of ten movie. So it is really. I had to go very specific with my top three. These are not. This is not like uh, the best thing about the movie. This is like I love this one little gag, that sort of thing, because. Um, the whole thing is so great. And then for the bottom ones, other than my complaints about the retrograde attitudes about relationships and women and men, the other stuff is like really nitpicky as well. So this is not the same type of top three, bottom three as when dealing with the holiday movies that I thought were bad movies. We did this independently. And I think it's telling that we both did exactly the same thing. And then my bottom three is like nitpicky stuff. Although I'll be, I did not, do the same thing as you my number one bottom thing we'll just say it now is the sequence where phil uses his powers to hook up with women that's the thing i wish was either not in the movie or barely in the movie but like you say you mentioned that too that's not that's it that's its own thing i will say i'll tag on one of mine is two of them are related to that topic okay the one so that is most closely to that is specifically like okay so generally using his knowledge to coerce women into sex but specifically the one that made me the most like viscerally uncomfortable was the first time that he got annie mcdowell back to his bedroom or in yeah. the, the b&b room and she was refusing explicitly like i don't think this is a good idea this is too fast like i'll see you in the morning like let's slow down a bit and he kept really pressuring her and i hated it it was so uncomfortable I really didn't like that. So that was my worst, it, the worst example of that. I thought it's honestly not hard. Like once you get into our previous idea of like, well, it's fun to run around and do whatever you want. It kind of feels like what's going to happen here. Or like, it, we know this guy's a fucking scumbag. It, it feels terrible. And I don't want to watch this in any movie, least of all movie where it's like, Bill Murray's going to be a cool fucking guy soon. It's like, let's, let's get to the Bill Murray's a cool fucking guy soon part. Yeah. A lot sooner and not have the uh, hope. Yeah. Hope nothing bad happens. We'll fucking see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That doesn't work for me. Uh, I, 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 th- I think I say, I understand the idea of there being a place for a little bit of this stuff, but we do too much of it. And I think it is too harmful to the main character. And honestly, to, to the, the secondary character of Annie McDowell, uh to to run through this um so i I don't need any of that but uh as we were discussing before i did very much the same thing you did with the top things because like the real top thing in this movie is it makes me want to be a better person 
like, but that's not like the best thing about like, we can't put that in the, what's the top three. Like it was funny when this guy said this and it made me want to change my life. And then it was funny <laughs> when this other guy said this, like that doesn't, that, that's not how this works. So the best thing about the movie is the things that are the best thing about the movie. And so I kind of just have like my th- three favorite sequences or lines exactly. or that's whatever. That's exactly what I have so to. We did, we did. And which again, we did not like coordinate. It just mm-hmm. happened because this is, it, it's such a good movie that it lends itself for this sort of thing. So what is your first top focus point? I This is straight up just what made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. But when Phil has his big change and he's like, you know what? I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to learn what that means and I'm going to do it. And he runs in to Ned Ryerson and gives him such a big long hug that Ned can't handle it after so many times he tries to embrace Phil he's like oh I gotta go and he just runs away and you just see him running down the sidewalk trying to get away from Phil I laughed so hard this time that was very funny I that was an ad lib the line that he gave was I don't know where you're headed but can you call in sick and he was like caressing his back I think (laughs) it was very funny I laughed very loud that probably was close to one of my top three that was a very funny line, and it was ad-libbed. Essentially, he he told him he was going to vamp. This is in the 11-minute uh, YouTube when they're okay. interviewing Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson talks about the scene, and in other articles, they talk about which things were ad-libbed, and this is one of them. Uh, essentially, he's just like, he was going to give him a long hug, a, an uncomfortably long hug and vamp, and so he came up with that line. I think he was not trying to just be a good person. He was deliberately trying to make him uncomfortable. He was like hitting on ned ryerson i had a note at the end that i i do I, I, this isn't in my bottom three but it this is a very and i would say overly pro uh life insurance movie like when he has his good run at the end he's bought like 30 kinds of insurance that day and yeah, he's i don't necessarily think he needs i don't know his situation maybe he really does maybe he was the biggest asshole on earth and he needed fire life every now we, we did, did do you have any uh this is a good chance for me to mention uh he mentions the death and dismemberment plan yeah and uh are you are, are you a fan of the band the dismemberment plan in this lightest sense i like some of their songs i love d plan and they're named from this movie i did not know that's that. that's where they they what they loved this movie and they said we're going to be the dismemberment plan based on that line that uh, Phil bought the death and dismemberment plan at the at the party at the end. There you go. Um, I loved that scene with Ned Ryerson. Yeah, the first one that made me laugh particularly hard was like such a throwaway. It has so little to do with the rest of the movie, but I loved it so much, and I have it time stamped, so I'm ready to play it for you. This is one of the times that I laughed hardest in this very funny movie that is much more about Bill Murray than anyone else. This is not Bill Murray. This is just a throwaway that was hilarious to me. Oh, whoa. You want to throw up here? You want to throw up in the car? I think both. <laughs> I, just I love, love I love the flapjack guys so much. Yeah. It, 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 it's very funny throughout. I think um, both. <laughs> really got me. 
And to his credit, you you can say you're making a choice, but that choice has already been made, and he's <laughs> he's going to do both. Yeah, you can say what I, I guess. Maybe you could try to do the car a lot, but uh, you'd have to really hurry. Yeah, uh, that's really funny. I I really liked that scene this time. It has it has the very famous line before it about what would you do if it was the same day every day forever and then the guy just takes the shot because that is his life yep do you do you how do you feel about that sort of line of thinking in this movie does that make you feel like a i mean they're not i guess pittsburgh is the the coast of some rivers but it's not really east coast but does that make you feel like an elitist when they're like oh yeah I get to I I will theoretically get to leave this town, but you fucking schmoes here every day for you is the same. I I think certainly obviously he's he looks down on them uh for ninety-five percent of the movie. When do you think he doesn't look down on those two guys? <laughs> I don't think he ever doesn't look down on I them. yeah, I think even the 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 the, the perfect run is still like and by the way, fuck you idiots who are so fat and like flapjacks. And make fun of the waiter for dropping the plates. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, but yeah. by the way, they are shitty guys. Like, they, yeah. they, I don't mean to imply that they're like the perfect dudes or whatever. So I think I have threefold thoughts on this. Yes, one, he looks threefold down. Threefold thoughts. That, that, that's getting there fast. Did you have threefold thoughts or did you sit there and then think to yourself i'm gonna come out with three full thoughts here i i just thought of three and i that's 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 a good brain by you pat thanks man so the first thought is one he certainly looked down on on the 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 townspeople in general uh and it and he knew what he was doing when he asked that question and that but i think that the the movie itself not not Phil's character, but the movie is obviously more hopeful and kind-hearted than Phil is as a character, and I so I think that they, the 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 movie looks upon them with with pity and empathy in feeling trapped in their life. Um, but more broadly speaking, I I don't think it has to be like a rural Pennsylvania thing. I think it could just be like a hard scrabble people everywhere people people who are stuck in their jobs everywhere sort of thing and so that my second point is super obviously everyone the past two years of this pandemic has to some extent felt like every day is the same uh people are trapped in their homes with limited mobility because of the pandemic and one of the reasons that i think it it feels like one of the reasons that time loop movies have proliferated in the past few years is because everyone feels like they're trapped these days I think you're specifically. Right. However, I know that the timeline to actually produce movies and video games is a longer time span than that, but it really feels like they're hammering at home. So just in general, part point two is everyone I think feels this way to some extent right now, and I certainly feel this way right now. Uh every day to some extent feels the same and is a slog. And my third and final point is that one of the other things that I watched uh, in preparing for this was, of course, Bill Murray's 1993 David Letterman guest appearance where he promoted uh, Groundhog Day, which was a very fun 
much longer longer than the making of. This is about a 15-minute clip from, from David Letterman. He took a big chunk of the show. Great appearance by him. Very funny. Made me yearn for the days of yore in talk shows where people had a lot more fun. This, guaranteed. That, this sounds fucking incredible. And uh, two points about... The one that is related to this is that, one, Bill Murray essentially made that exact same joke to David Letterman himself. He said, like, do you ever feel like you're kind of stuck in the same routine day by day? Uh, knowing that David Letterman obviously has this very routine job where he's yeah. making all these shows in a very rapid schedule. And David Letterman, of course, jokes back like, well, I kind of do right now, uh, joking about Bill Murray being kind of a difficult guest for him. But it was funny to me that he made the same joke that was like explicitly made in the movie. So he, he re- rehashed that joke. And the other thing I want to comment about that appearance is that they chose the worst clip to play. Oh no! Guess what clip? You, I'm not even. That's not a game to play. They, they. So the clip they played was the first time through when he woke up, where he's getting coffee and giving a hard time to the lady at the bed and breakfast. Not the time. No time loop. The first time through. Not the first loop. But the genuine first time where he's just a jerk to the lady who yeah. works at the bed. Come watch this fucking movie where I'm a dick. You know yep. what you like about Bill Murray movies? I'm not funny. No one likes me. Great. Yeah. That's, that's he does bad. he does the weather he does his like uh, you know, and uh the the warm front is coming through and there's gonna be and it's gonna rise up and then it'll be crystallized and precipitation known as snow. Did you really want to know that or just to make it's, a small chat? And and by the way, uh not in my bottom three, but not funny. Not yeah. not not an especially good bit. I could not believe that was her choice. The, the That's joke, insane. I could not believe it. It was like one of the least funny minute and a half stretches of this yeah. movie. And I think what like the joke that Bill Murray made beforehand was like so he's like David Letterman and setting him was like so this is your when you realize that you're looping in time. He's like no no. To see that, you have to pay seven bucks. <laughs> so, like, I maybe they genuinely felt like that was like too good of a chunk of the movie, but like, man, you got to show something. Obviously, that feel- maybe nowadays trailers and clips maybe are more spoilery, and people give away the whole uh, farm in in what they show from a movie before you actually see the movie. But I could not believe that they would have been so precious about it that they couldn't show a funny part from the timeline. That feels very much like some studio dude saying, no, we don't give stuff away. And then now we've just completely changed the tide. And that's like, no, giving everything away makes people go to the movie. So who cares? Even if they have a bad time at the movie, we don't care. Uh, but like, it, it, it's absurd that you would show that unfunny clip, which even in context is not that great, but out of context is, Makes it look like a bad movie. Imagine if you saw the movie poster with non-Bill Murray holding up an alarm clock with Bill Murray on it, and you saw that minute and a half of the movie, and that's all you knew about Groundhog Day, and you're like, this must be a good movie. Like How's This is a movie about a guy with some weird fingers around a floor. <laughs> this is a guy, this is a movie about a mean guy trapped in a town he hates. Like, and maybe Bill Murray is in it. Maybe Bill Murray's bad doppelganger is in it. I don't know. Bill Murray made Scrooge, and it was like too nice. I gotta fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm going way meaner, way darker. Now I'll make the real money. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. 
But anyway, Thank overall, very that, fun that uh, segment by him and very long. Yes. I, I'm going to watch it. I'm really excited. Whew. So you said your second one? Was that yours? Did you get... No, I have a second one. Okay. And again, this is as really far down the road of just clean lines I love. But there are... Uh, as I think we've discussed possibly even on this podcast, but I'm not sure. I have certain things in my life where I have said them enough times that they are now automatic responses. Gina, my girlfriend, despises this one because she has heard it so many times. Gina will frequently say, I help. Even before we knew we were doing this podcast today, I believe, uh, Gina asked me if I wanted to go to the movies. And I said, yes, let's go to the movies and see licorice pizza which by the way we did and it was great uh but she was like there's not very many movies playing do you want to go see spider-man and i said no uh i think you have to see all the other spider-mans to get this one and i don't i haven't seen all the spider-mans and she said people really like this spider-man and i said (laughs) people like blood sausage sausage. all right i saw that i love People like blood sausage. I've never eaten blood sausage. Uh, I don't eat meat. And I, you know what else I don't eat is blood because I'm not a vampire. That's the grossest thing in the world. Uh, but either way, uh, people like blood sausage is very effective. I, even if you don't even, I was going to say if you don't like this movie, but guess, uh, spoiler alert, you're not listening if you don't absolutely love this movie. Uh, but even if you any circumstance it's pretty effective it is and correct to say people like blood sausage i wrote that one down that was one of i i didn't write that many quotes down in my notes but I, that was one of them as well so the 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 line immediately after is people like blood sausage too people are morons yeah uh and related to that another one that did not make my cut was uh when she invites just because it's food i apologize but uh do you want to go like you want to meet up with larry and me for dinner or something like that. Didn't write that down. Like, no, thanks. I've seen Larry eat. Yeah. <laughs> that was just a very funny, quick line to say. Uh, that was very good. The Larry transformation is so strong in the movie. He's so mean to Larry at the beginning. And it's such a huge part of what changes about him. Where at the beginning, he's so dismissive and hateful towards him. And at the end, he is like, what do you think about that? And it you you feel it in your heart when he asks him. He does like that great take in front of the, uh, the the groundhog, and he asks him, "What did you think?" And it means so much to him. Mm-hmm. That's that's a thing to take away from this. You and I, we can all do this in our daily lives. We can find that, and those people will love it. Yeah, it, it meant so much to him for sure. Like he was he was moved that he would do yes. that because he had no expectation of any kindness from him, and and he wanted his input, and that was very valuable to him. A sharp right turn from that. Not my top either, but involving Larry. Let's keep with the Larry train. Oh boy, I. This is a very funny part, but very dumb. It made I laughed out loud again. It was probably a top five laugh in the movie for me. But it makes no sense in the context of the movie. I couldn't believe that they would actually do this. But it was very funny when he committed suicide by driving off the quarry into the cliff. And Larry says, 
he might be okay. The car explodes. Boom. And he says, well, no, probably not now. That was extremely funny to me. However, I'm a little, it is never, it is implausible to me that his coworkers, even if he was mean to them, would have no reaction of sadness or horror at what they just saw and just neutrally make a joke about him being dead in that scenario. So I thought it was very funny, but, but unrealistic uh, in that context. I, I won't debate the realism of it. I agree. It was very funny. I, I obviously like, I, I am a dark natured person to many degrees. We'll get into this with my, my next of the top three. But I love the darkness slash suicide segments, especially because they come directly out of the nightmarish Bill Murray is hooking up with much younger women sequence. And so when he finds it unfulfilling, goes a different direction and sees it and then uh, kills himself in many different ways, including the way you just just described. And it, it peaks with the truly horrifying line by chris elliott where they go to identify his body in the morgue yeah and he coldly says he was a great guy we all really liked him and it couldn't be more clear he is lying through his teeth it's like he sucked and we hated him that i mean that and again not to make everything and again i don't like scrooge that much but it feels a lot like scrooge where it's like him seeing people and again he doesn't even really see it we see it that's not the conceit of this film but the idea that like everyone who you interact with in your daily life doesn't give a fucking shit when you die because you are terrible and that's what the movie is telling us and the movie is right to tell us that yep so moving on to a lighter point uh another top actually i'll do a bottom i, I don't want to end with a bottom bad ones in a row so one of my so the first bottom was uh just the coercion and particularly when uh anyway that was clearly refusing over and over again and it sucked and was very uncomfortable related to that not a strong scene i felt in general but when he's having his one of his early deeper conversations with rita he asks her what she looks for in a man and she goes on an extremely unrealistically (laughs) detailed, long discussion of a thousand characteristics that uh, she likes about men. It was one of the slower parts of the movie that I thought dragged a little bit. Um, But uh, she said something about like he cries easily and, you know, not afraid to show weakness, blah, 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 something like that. And he said, this is a man we're talking about. And it was just like such a retrograde uh, view of masculinity that it just aged very poorly. The, the coercing into sex aged the worst, but the not even contemplating uh, sensitivity in men was was also uh, poorly aged, I thought. I thought that whole scene was pretty rough. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't like that, what you described there. And I also thought that like this whole scene... The idea of having like 20 consecutive things to list that you're looking for in a man, I thought it kind of made her look shitty too. Like obviously he comes off a lot worse, but I was like, does this this is this is an unrealistic and dumb thing? Like for I, an adult to list off, like here's all the things I want in a partner. So to me, I mean, but they're all like idealistic. You know, it wasn't like 
Okay, a little bit. Like, it has to have a good body, but not look in the mirror every two minutes or whatever. But mostly it was very just altruistic. Like, he's, he's a good dude with a good heart. I don't... I wasn't bothered by the length of the list and having, like, unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. I was just bothered by, like... Your your coworker that you barely know and is trying to get to know you asks what you look for and you just have like a five minute monologue of like insanely specific things like it was just so long and detailed as far as just a conversation with another human uh, it just seemed weird to me and and it, and also just kind of was long for the movie but as far as realism or I mean uh, the high expectations for a partner that part didn't bother me. Uh, similarly, I have another thing in the bottom, uh, that is, well, I guess it's, it's, it's Andy McDowell and, uh, some person just walked through the background. Is everything okay? Is that a, is that a robber? Yes, there is a thief in the house. (laughs) Jen's home. Hi, says Jen. I really object to the drinks that they order at the bar when they're talking about their favorite drinks. Bill Murray orders a Jim Beam ice and water. Jim Beam fucking blows. You're a fucking fancy pants weatherman, whatever. But that's fine. Sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist. Are you fucking kidding me? Terrible drink to establish the fact I do have one <laughs> right here. There we go. I have sweet vermouth. Now, this was a now real talk. I made this before we started the podcast and it's been sitting off camera the whole time. So the rocks are melted and I did I did actually make a real twist out of this uh, lemon peel. But it has it has uh, stretched itself back out. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, I know <laughs> that sweet vermouth plus ice plus lemon peel sounds awful. Yeah, I bet. Let's see. Bottoms up. No, you know what it tastes like. You poured vermouth in a glass and put a lemon peel in it. Awful. Yeah. Who wants to drink straight vermouth? That's, That's your favorite drink? I agree. That's bad. I also think that's a bad choice. Um, I will say I think that's a bad choice, but one of my tops that was not a specific line, but I th- I commend the movie for that scene and a couple of other scenes where they were just doing the rapid cuts with the multiple retries. Absolutely. Yes. I thought that felt very modern and fresh and like, it felt like it wasn't from 1993. It felt like a, a current comedy moving at a snappy pace. And uh, so that was the first scene where he kept going, uh, you know, revising his, his conversation and, and trying to get exactly what she wants. And so just making it go smoother. So he kept retrying it, cutting, retrying, cutting, retrying. I thought it was very snappy and fun and it, and it felt like much more modern than a lot of the rest of the movie. I thought that that felt like it could have been from this year. Similarly, they did that in the, in the uh, restaurant the second time. So it was at the bar first with the vermouth and everything. And then the second time was in the restaurant when talked about like what, you know, uh, comparative literature and French poetry and things like that. And he kept revising and improving. And both of those I thought were pretty fun and well done. 
I completely agree. I think that 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 is similar to the stuff we talked about, how the movie, despite not having a bunch of time loop movies to look back at, the actual movie that we got recognized that at the very beginning, having him not know anything and wander through stuff and giving you a baseline was so crucial and then giving you a world to expand into. But whenever we want to, we can establish what, the, the the meaning like the meaning of his current run with that the stuff in the bed and breakfast mm-hmm. and i think this is a very similar thing we're recognizing that there's a lot of value there's a lot of comedy that you could go easily get by just saying you know we didn't tell you how many days this was here's seven of them and who these are not necessarily in a row maybe he went and did something else on several several days in between who knows this could be thousands of days apart but here's a bunch of these in succession shown in the movie i think is extremely effective this this is another com uh this is not one of my top three but related to that just like smart decisions made for the strength of the movie overall back to the guardian piece from 2013 groundhog day the perfect comedy forever apparently harold ramis specifically predicted that this movie would have legs and people would like watching it for a long time. And so because of that, he deliberately removed all 90s references from the movie to make it more timeless so that people could watch it without it being dated, which obviously like a lot of current comedies um, rely so much on like current events and like, you know, celebrity jokes and things like that. And there was absolutely none of that in groundhog day and it was such a smart choice to just make it timeless and and not be like oh the 90s you're a modern woman like oh is that you're a businesswoman oh i have a i have a satellite phone because i'm rich you know just all that stuff they could have easily fallen into they did not and that was very smart yeah that's that's incredible foresight uh so i've said two bottoms and two tops what have you got sir this is a really, really minor bottom one, but that fucking, and they use this at the beginning and the end. That weatherman song sucks. <laughs> that is extremely specific and minor. Yes. But, but again, it's, it's to the film's credit that I got to go find this, but I did not have a good time hearing that song twice in a movie that is not very long. Like I, I definitely do not need this movie two different times. This song two different times. And I would say, one of like the not this time that I rewatched it, but the time before this, and it it had been a long time in between the second most recent time I've seen it and the third most recent time I've seen it. Um, I actually completely forgot that Phil was specifically a weatherman. I knew that he was a newscaster and that he was covering this against his will, and that he made fun of it and everything. But, like, in my mind, it is not at all central to the movie that he's a weatherman, per se. Just that he is a guy who thinks he's a big shot in a small town that he hates covering Groundhog's Day. So, like, I remember he was a newscaster. I did not specifically remember, like, talking about the blizzard and, you know, the fronts and blah, 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 blah. And so I I think that goes to your point that the weatherman song is completely superfluous and unnecessary. Somewhat associated with the uh, very early Weatherman stuff is, did you notice that uh, Phil's assistant at the uh, news station 
is Stanford from Sex in the City? No, I've I just mentioned this in the episode that you listened to with Jen. I have I have very little Sex in the City uh, experience and familiarity. I'm sorry. I I, I, I I do remember I do recall you mentioning that you hadn't seen very many episodes, but Stanford is like, you know, in a lot of ways, he's like the fifth. Well, no, New York is the fifth lady. But Stanford is like the sixth lady. Thank you. <laughs> and so he was in the movie for 10 seconds. Pretty Great. good, huh? You know who else was in the movie for 10 seconds? Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon. Yeah! His first real role, apparently. I didn't know that. I just, I just was, I had a note, Michael Shannon, exclamation point. The I only like, holy cr- shit. The I only think this credit- is the first viewing I realized that. Yeah, the only credit he has earlier, one of the things I read said that this was his first movie. He has one credit earlier on IMDb that I think came out the same year and it was like a TV movie and it was it was like Young Michael or something so it obviously was not an important role. Not that this role as Bobby the groom who was having trouble with his bride to be who was having cold feet is was an important role. Uh but this is either his first or his second role, maybe depending on the time that these things were released and what actually happened. But still, extremely early, Michael Shannon doing great. He knocked it out of the park with his it, it, one line. I, I feel he had like a few lines. I think I think he is beyond like background actor here. Yeah, it, they talk about fucking WrestleMania. His <laughs> girlfriend seems cool. He gets his, his wife at the end. Uh, he gets mad that she has cold feet. Mm-hmm. Like I think he's at like on the press. Like I think he crosses over the line of like not really even in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Which, I agree. Good so for him. I, did anything ever? Did he ever do anything else? Oh, I love him. He's so good. Such a weird yeah. guy. I, I I am a big fan. Uh, my other bottom is very related to the what we've been speaking about, both with her going on and on about her preferences and men. And how I really liked the modern cuts uh, when they're doing the takes. Just in a in a little few ways, it felt a little slow and a little dated. The two times, especially that it jumped out at me, were specifically that scene in the diner talking about the men, and the scene, the first scene, uh, in bed when he with her when he's just reading and talking, uh, like obviously. Unfortunately, obviously, the, these are both with important to the relationship between Phil and Rita, and I understand that, that is the heart of the movie in some ways. So I'm not trying to say that that was problematic or a bad thing, but I just think it, it compared to subsequent time loop movies that, of course, could use Groundhog Day as a spring pad to propel themselves forward, yep. it felt a little slow and draggy at parts. Uh, and so... It was, again, a very minor critique. I love this movie, but I think it was it just a couple parts went on a little too long. That's all. Uh, how do you do you, how do you feel about the uh, snowman slash snowball fight scenes? One you can kind of say the tops. same thing, right? One of my other tops. Oh, you it, love them? The second snowball. I love uh, how he's losing his mind. I'm I'm ready to get on to the next thing. I mean, in the movie, I don't mean in the podcast. Yeah, Um, I thought it was hilarious how 
it portrayed him unraveling the, doing it the second time. I think I, no, like, no. You, I'll give you no. You're right about that. When it becomes like it feels like he's trying to like speed run through it. Exactly. That that works for me. But in general, I think these are too slow. But you're right. I, I didn't think about that. And that part I, I think is very fun when he's like, get to hey, the guess next what? thing, throw these things. Oh, I you go ahead. I've got a clip. I because this is my other top. Oh, yeah. I have Love a clip it. of him unraveling during the second snowball okay. fight. This specific part is actually great, and I was wrong to not separate this. I haven't done this since I was a kid. Oh, and good, clean fun, too. I think that's what's missing in the world today, don't you? Gosh, He's I can't so wait manic. to do this with my own children. Golly, I want kids. Lots of kids. I want to adopt. I want to have my own kids. I want to have foster shouting kids. shouting what she wants to hear. <laughs> yeah. I got this over at Snowman City. Let's put them around the house. Hey, some kids just threw a snowball at us. Hey, come here. Let's have some fun. Come on, hey. <laughs> Hey, kids, come on. Uh, I wish these were my old kids hitting me like this. Hey. Hey. Ow, ow. Are any of you up for adoption? Any of you up for adoption? <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's a, here's yeah. a humdinger over here. Hey. Wasn't that great? Okay. So I thought it was really funny how manic he was and how he was clearly losing his mind and unraveling. And two things behind the scenes from the reading. One is that... Harold Ramis apparently told those kids to really go for it by nailing Bill Murray with snowballs as hard as it could. And at least once Bill Murray unleashed on them as well. And I think it was that take. It looks like he pelts one of them in one of them. And the second thing is the, the thing that happened as I was closing that clip was that's when he dives back on the ground next to her. And he's again, like crazed and manic and he's trying to snuggle in into the snow next to her because the previous time that they had done this uh, was when they had an almost kiss. Like they had been, they had a very close moment, like face to face in the snow. And it was obvi- obviously, she was starting to have feelings for him. And, uh, and so, but he's just like wriggling and insane in the snow. And I thought that was funny. But then in the 11 minute making of with Harold Ramis, he said that he loved that scene because specifically Phil was trying to get in the same physical position that he was in the previous time and was failing to do so. And that was not what was conveyed to me necessarily. Wow, yeah, like, I don't. Like, I agree with you. I don't see that at all. But apparently that's what they were portraying, which is another, it was just a funny thought to me. He was just like squirming on the yeah. snow, just trying to get to the right position because, again, he's trying to, like as you said, like speed run to get her to love him as quickly as possible, but obviously just physically being in the same place while acting like an insane person is not going to do it. And I thought that was very funny. That was one of my highlights. Um, That scene does a thing that I thought about when I was watching uh, this time, which is that I think in general, the movie underrates how insane this would make you. Oh yeah. Like the idea of, forming a relationship with someone and losing it every day and so that scene is really doing it like that's what would happen is you'd be like i know what happens when i get to this spot and then you get there like oh but it wasn't quite the same and now i'm an idiot and then i try to push it harder and then like now i'm just getting punched in the face that scene is really doing like what would really happen like you your brain could never do this and also i like I thought about this too, you know, a lot of movies that ascend let's let's call this a superpower essentially, right? Like he's reliving time. Sure. And he's uh he knows everything about this town. 
a lot of movies I try to sometimes think about like what it would be really like to have that superpower. And in this case, I thought about how necessary to surviving when you're not specifically trying to wow someone by being omniscient, you'd have to be acting all the time. And so like one of the unsung talents that he has picked up besides playing piano and ice sculpting is becoming an excellent actor and liar because he has to pretend everything is happening for the first time all the time, every day to everyone. And that would be so hard. And he has hung out with Andy McDowell more than you and I will ever hang out with anyone. Like, like they, you think like your relationship with Jen pales in comparison to what he knows about her. Like, this is a nightmare. I, this is like, obviously like a general thing with time movies. And again, it's very appropriate for Palm Springs, which you don't like very much. Um, in this case, it's a little hard because she is not looping with him. And so he's starting from scratch every day and has to build up that trust to even get to a point where she will. But that's what would him. make him crazy. Yeah. But I'm saying, I don't know if it's fair to say he is closer to her than we will be well, with anyone we know in our lives because well, he is, he has okay. to build up trust and has 24 hours to do it. Uh, and he, he learns a lot of biographical info through process of elimination and sheer determination. But I, I don't know if he is, his relationship is deep um, because he has to start over. Whereas in Palm Springs, uh, the two main characters are both looping together and they have many lifetimes to get to know each other and can have a deeper relationship. You are right. And I shouldn't have said relationship. It's really knowledge of. And so it's, it's his knowledge of is so much greater than any actual human could have with anyone else. And then also he has a one way relationship yes. with this person. And that is only strengthened by the fact that he knows everything about her. Like you would, I don't, I don't mean you specifically. I mean, a person would just lose their mind. Like this is, you could, no one could do this. To be so, like, he is completely in love with her and knows more about her than any human has ever known anything about any other human. And every day she's like, I hate your guts. Are you going to be nice to me at work today? I'm not a fan of you when we're at work and I don't hang out with you otherwise. Death. And in, and another thing, and I'm going to play another clip here from that 11 minute making of specifically uh going back to the same section that I was at where I left off uh with with Ned Ryerson talking about the movie in a surprisingly deep way another thing I hadn't thought about that you just raised, raised for me is like they show again to relate it to video games him failing to uh woo her is it, oftentimes in a big section of failure state is him getting slapped in the face and they'd have a quick montage of him getting slapped in the face, slapped in the face, slapped in the face, slapped in the face. And again, you know that he's kind of a scuzzy guy, so you don't feel... You know that he deserves it most of the time. Um, but imagine, from your perspective of what you were just saying, if this is a person that you know more deeply than anyone else in your life, and imagine how much more hurtful that would be to be slapped in the face by that person after you spent 100 years getting to yeah. know them. Uh, that, that would suck. 
uh, potentially. But again, he's kind of jerk. So here's another clip with Ned Ryerson talking deeply about the relationship in this movie. Not be like that. She won't put up with anything. If as soon as he falls off the, the turnip truck with some line of bull, he's out of there. Slap in the face, slap in the face. That whole sequence in the middle, slap, 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 slap. Because he's not living up to the standards of excellence. The greatest gift for him is becoming finite again. He's going to die. He's going to age. Time is going to go on. But now he has the keys to use his time well. And to begin that journey of time, he wakes up and he's with his beloved. I thought that was touching. I Way to go, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, uh, I... I Stephen Tobolowski kicks ass. And that was no exception. Uh, I think that's exactly right, is that that's all he could ever wish for, given his circumstances. I... I it, it it takes a while to get to the idea of him being a tragic freaker, but it's the only outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you you, in fact, like you, you're not even a tragic figure until you get the chance to die. Until then, you're just like a garbage nightmare who's been being punished by the gods. Like when you're just doing the loop forever, that's the worst existence imaginable. Yeah. I have one more in my uh, top three, and like this is not—it's not a positive one at all, but it's one I have used somewhat similarly to the uh, people like Blood Sausage. It's a meaningful line. I say it a lot. I say it a lot more since I moved to fucking shit ass Minnesota. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna be gray. It's going to last you for the rest of your life. <laughs> I love that line. Top three. And uh, do you do you, do you not feel that way about your life, Pat? Man. Well, first of all, no. I like to think that there's some hope. But Tell me about that all, hope that you've made up for yourself. I think that the pandemic will end. One funny joke. Let's see if you got any more. And hopefully there will be less oppressive minority rule on part of conservatives. Do you actually think either of these things will happen? Do you well, really believe either of those? I certainly think that... I feel the, like both of those are 100 to 1. Certainly coronavirus will become endemic and it will life will return more to normal than it has been for the past few years. Probably kind of soon, barring another Omicron-level evasive variant coming and soon. And why won't, why won't that variant happen? It already happened once. And we have more people with the virus than ever before. I... Is this too heavy? Do we want to just cut back out of this? <laughs> it's okay. I don't know. I think, I don't know. I, I just think. Now, yeah, is it you think it'll happen or you want it to happen? No, I think it'll actually happen. I think it will be l- less prevalent. Hopefully. I, I mean, it'll just, I, I do believe I, I, I don't want to sound like COVID deniers. So I'm trying to be careful here. 
I have taken COVID very seriously and got vaccinated as soon as possible and boosted as soon as possible. I'm not a crazy person. I think it will become more like the flu eventually, which will suck. I think that the uh, mortality rate will continue to drop and the numbers will continue to drop and it will be an unpleasant thing that is around at baseline levels and life will be more normal. Okay. I generally agree with you. I also have taken COVID seriously, but as we we have discussed, but many, many listeners to this podcast may not know. I did go to the movies this past weekend. I had not been to the movies ever during the pandemic. So uh, when we went in, Gina was like, what's the last movie you saw? And I was like, I have no idea. It was before the pandemic, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, I hope I don't have COVID. Maybe I do. Maybe I already had it. Maybe I've got it right right now. I haven't had COVID yet so far. I... I'm gonna get it real bad. I went to the I went to the theaters three ish, four ish times during the pre Omicron surge. I have not been since Omicron. And I I think I only went after I personally had COVID. So I felt pretty good about when I went because I was vaccinated and had recovered from COVID, but I have not been since Omicron became a thing. Uh now go ahead and explain the politics thing you think is going to be okay. Oh, I don't think it's going to be okay. I just hope this is more of a hope than a prediction. I am disappointed thus far. Uh, I've been disappointed since 2016, obviously, uh, at least. That's when it started getting good for me. So that's weird. (laughs) I, uh, I, Yeah, just hope that there are at least, obviously there's not going to be the large structural change that would prevent further erosion of democracy because that ship has sailed. Agreed so far. Disinterested in acting. But I hope that enough people realize how bad it is currently and will get worse within the next few months to six years uh, that people at least start to make these incremental changes to protect democracy. And so things will eventually kind. I hope that like Omicron, we are cresting in authoritarianism and anti-democratic policies and that it will crest and start to decline. But I think we're still on the upswing because people have not done any action to prevent it from further eroding currently. I th- I hope that the pendulum swings back somewhat, but I have no great hopes that it'll be quick or decisive because people have done nothing so far. My first thought was I wanted to ask if you wanted to bet on any of this. But then I was like, well, why would I bet with Pat? He probably doesn't have like butane or meals ready to eat and nothing else is of any value. There you go. Bummer. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray and it's going to last you for the rest of your life. So, so what I was going to say with that. So first of all, obviously super depressing choice for your last top three item. 
as you acknowledged. Second of all, though, my 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 other thought is that there are so many very similar defeatist quotes from Phil throughout the movie, especially and like especially when he's doing his depressive monologues on camera. Can I do one? Yeah. Maybe the real God uses tricks. Yeah. So I'm not as depressing, but I still really like it. Yeah. I like that as a concept. I, I thought, I think it's to me that the cold gray, the rest of your life, it, it is just consistent with a bunch of other similar quotes to me. That one doesn't stand out to me. And it's interesting. It to stands me out to me a lot. Yeah. All right. But again, I live in Minnesota. Uh, and, I hated the winter a lot before I moved here. And then I found out about the realness. It gets me bad every year. This is, this has been my least painful winter so far. Uh, but it's entirely because time has started moving faster than ever. And so like normally it feels like it takes three years to get to January 1st. And this year with, covid everything again i i just feel like i slide through two weeks every time i go to bed it makes me feel crazy i i agree but i and i think the um inherent contradiction is like time is simultaneously flying by and crawling incredibly slowly like yeah i feel like and it's gonna last me for the rest of my life (laughs) like it is crazy like uh, obviously my situation is different, but like thinking of the ages of our girls is crazy that two years of their lives have been this. So like Lily is almost six and Kit is almost three. Kit was less than one when this started. She like has no living memory of any other circumstances. And like when I see videos like, you know, Jen take, we take a lot of videos of them in, in general, but Jen takes more and she has like, she does like monthly recaps and you know, your iPhone will be like this, this day, two years ago and stuff like that. And when I see things like that, it's like, good Lord, that was two years ago. We were in this pretty much already, obviously precisely two years ago at the end of January, America wasn't in the thick of it yet, but anyway, almost two years ago and they don't know anything else. It is crazy to think how fast time flies and this is such a big part of their lives. But then like, you're on a day-to-day basis like i am trapped i can't go anywhere every day is the same this day will not end you know it on a on a macro level time is flying on a micro level time is uh, at a crawl well, the good news is i don't have any kids around uh so i can't see like the passage of time that way but i do have a mirror and i can <laughs> see my face and my hair all just go to fucking shit this is a good podcast for sure um <laughs> do you like where i'm taking us is, so is it good. getting better as it gets longer yes i hope everyone enjoys um how many uh groundhogs out of 10 is this movie johnny can we uh reestablish what this means is this, does this mean how much of a time loop movie is this yeah i think so this is an eight out of ten. Wow. I can conceive of a harder time leap movie or wink wink story written by two very <laughs> handsome young men. Yeah. Uh, that would that would really be just like we are hitting time loops. But that, that that doesn't necessarily even mean it would be better. But I think this is this this 
it, this is not a romantic comedy, uh, but I do think there are other themes going on that pull it back from being a 10 out of 10. Sounds like you want Danny Rubin's original script that was a harder, no, no, darker, no. indie loop movie. He only hooks up with 40 more women. Great. Yeah. No. Um, another segment that I've been doing with a lot of these is uh, discussing the reviews. Uh, do you have a prediction on the Metacritic of this particular movie? Obviously, Metac- okay. old old movies on Metacritic. That yeah, very biased and thick. The, the reviews that make it through tend to be high. But also, re- Metacritic is lower than Rotten Tomatoes, right? Because Rotten Tomatoes is just up or down. And Metacritic is like, oh, if it's a three out of four, you only get a 75%. Exactly. Rather than a one on so, Rotten Tomatoes. I'd have to check. I think it's it's like a dozen reviews. Like a, like a current oh. movie coming oh. out is like 60 reviews or something, you know? So this is a small sample size that they have on Metacritic. But obviously, Groundhog Day is like an important enough movie that they decided to import them. But um, what do you predict the Metacritic is for? I predict 87 a shocking 72. Oh, that's pretty bad. Right? They must have some pretty lousy reviews mixed in there. Yeah, I was very surprised at the Metacritic. Uh, I view this as a classic, and I remember liking it when it first came out, and lots of people I know liking it when it first came out. I, I was a kid. I didn't have like any real analysis at the time, but I thought it was great. Uh, what do you think Roger Ebert gave it out of four stars? I am only consider like I'm only considering three and a half or four. I'm going to guess four. Interestingly, he's part of the problem in a way. His oh, original no. his original review is three stars, which is like right at the average essentially. But he reevaluated it. I this is my again. I didn't dive as deep as I could have, but I believe he re-reviewed it in 2005 and gave it four stars. There is a second review. That is four stars, and he said he was uncharitable, and he and it's a classic essentially. Um, and that that article on the website is dated two thousand five. So my interpretation is he reevaluated in two thousand five. Okay. I don't know how many movies he did that for, but he originally gave it three stars, and he upped it to four stars. I do. I used to read like all his reviews, and I do remember him people making fun of him for like sometimes he'd just be like, "I watch this again. I here's my new star rating." Yeah. Uh, I don't specifically remember this, but boy, like, uh, I, I like Roger Ebert a lot. And also he was a Midwestern boy who liked Midwestern boy stories. And this feels like a Midwestern boy story to me. So I, I, I am surprised that he didn't love that, uh, to begin with. Yeah. I'm surprised he even had to reevaluate this one. Yeah, I'm surprised too. It's and and I've been pleasantly surprised with his reviews on going back on like the holiday movies and stuff. Like I feel like both the star rating and the text has been like, you know, that's pretty like, you know, you know this guy this guy knows what he's talking about. This is pretty pretty spot on, I think. Uh yeah. So I I was a little disappointed that he gave it 3 at first, but he he did reevaluate it. I have one more. Oh, two. Okay. I've Here's the pop quiz. You There's a pop quiz? There's one. Shouldn't there be like a big musical sting right here? He said, making work for Pat. Yeah, thank you. Uh, 
It's not. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. Wow, good job by Johnny making a identifiable musical sting. Yep. Um, you like crosswords. Oh, I love crosswords. I perceive you to probably be a pretty good speller. Accurate? I won my school spelling bee five years in a row. Holy cow. You beat no, like it's a it's a fucking people. like small school, so like nobody gave a shit. But I got I I, I went on to the to the next one every year. Without looking, can you spell? Punxsutawney? Oh no, it's Punxsutawney. I, now I will say I, uh, when I was taking my notes, I thought, is this? I wanted to make a shortened form of it, and so I was like is this a K or is this an X? And I Googled it and I'm pretty sure it's an X. That's the um, least of my concerns with the spelling of this word. Well, yeah, that, and, and, but then like literally in my notes, I can, I'm not going to hold it up for no, you. Don't look at your I, notes. Well, no, I, I agree. I, I wrote down P U N X every time I wrote down instead of writing Punxsutawney. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a bad airport. <laughs> do, do not fly to P-U-N-X yes. It is not P-D-X No matter how much you <laughs> want it to be They just push you out the window on the way um, I think Punxsutawney is I don't really know how to spell it I, I'm pretty confident it starts P-U-N-X Sorry you and, did not say capital P You're already eliminated but continue You know when I was actually in uh, The spelling bee I believe it was when I was in eighth grade, they changed that rule. Initially, we didn't do capitalizations. And if it was a proper noun or whatever, it couldn't be in the list. Mm. And then I believe it was when I was in eighth grade, they were like, we are going to put proper nouns in and you have to say the capital. And I was like, that's that fucking bullshit. These are not good words for the list. Uh, I don't know. I'm still going to spell the word wrong. I think it's P-U-N-X, and I think it is S-A-T-A-W-N-Y. Two errors. Two S- errors. Terrible. S-U-T-A-W-N-E-Y. The E-Y, I should have got the, the S-U. I, I think that's fucking dumb. It's the a E-Y is very, the, the E-Y is very Pennsylvania in retrospect, thinking about it now. P U N X S U T makes no sense to me. Punk suit. Yeah, I, that's why I would like when I was doing this, I was like, this should be P U N K S, but I was like, I feel like that's not right, and that's why I looked it up. And so that was a good sign right there that this is some fucking bullshit for a word. Punks P U N X. Fuck off right there. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, last topic. Offshoots and inspired uh, media. I'm not going to talk about the million time loop movies that have come out in the past few years, but I will point out (laughs) uh, one of the articles I read was The Ringers, The Year Groundhog Day Became a Thing. Okay. And as I said, I've soured on The Ringer and Bill Simmons, and this article <laughs> graded against me instantly because of my new negative disposition. Um, however, it was an interview. The entire after the beginning, the entire interview was ju- the entire article was just an interview with Danny Rubin, and there was a couple of things in there okay. that weren't in other parts. So it was just like fine, good interview. It was really short. 
going for those clicks. But the intro, the year that this came out was 2017. So here are the movies that came wait, out wait. in 2017 is the year that this became a thing yes this year i assume this was a 2020 or 2021 article and that is I can't why i believe that listen to this uh, so it's not a lead. now like nobody gave a shit about about fucking uh groundhog day and now we finally know what a legit genre that's year here about it. 24 of groundhog day being around this is what they used. To... <laughs> I could I can't even read it. This can't is their... even get through it. This is what they were. This is the premise of their article and their headline. This is why this is now the year it became a thing. <laughs> and while some treatments have pulled off, pulled it off well, Tom Cruise's sci-fi blast edge of tomorrow will probably be being the best. So this is not the movies they're talking about. 2017 saw three films utilize the Groundhog Day concept across different genres. <laughs> Netflix's broad Marlon Wayans comedy Naked, the teen drama Before I Fall, and Happy Death Day, Bloomhouse's PG-13 oh. horror flick that reached number one at the box office in October. So the three movies that prove that Netflix, that Groundhog Day became a thing in 2017 are Naked, Before I Fall, and Happy Death Day. I screamed inside of my body when I That's that. insane. Like, boy, if you only knew. Like, I, I, I know there are people who like Happy Death Day. Like, that is a thing. I don't think there's anyone who likes Naked. I don't like, remember naked existing. I, rem- I I do remember it existing, and I do remember it being like it's like his wedding day, and he doesn't have any clothes on, and he's got to like resolve it, and it keeps happening. But like, I remember it being instantly mocked when the trailer was released, and this was early for Netflix, and so people were like, "Oh boy, Netflix does not know how to do anything. This is a big embarrassment for them." I could not Unreal. handle could not handle that. 2017 is the year that it became a thing because of the three weeks. Last thing I want to talk about. It, why isn't Edge of Tomorrow one of them? Exactly. That's How about, it's the year that it became a thing. Edge of Tomorrow. No other movies. The end. That would right? be a better argument than three shitty things happened. What year did Russian Dolls come out or whatever? Was that? That's, honestly, I thought I think that's a little later. But I thought that was going to be one of them. I was like, oh, yeah. Russian Doll must be earlier than I think. Like Again, I honestly have only seen the first episode of that. I haven't ever watched it. I it's liked it. It was good. good. I it want was, to it, watch it. it. I should watch it. Guess what, Johnny? It fell apart oh, am I gonna tried to explain the phenomenon. Fuck. <laughs> um, the last... Uh, so, side tangent to this. First of all, did you know that there is a Broadway musical, Groundhog Day? Came out in 2017, the year it became a thing. Sounds bad. I didn't. I don't know anything about that. Um, but uh, that's that doesn't sound good. The last thing, the last piece of research I told you before we before we recorded that I had done a fair amount of research as I was doing for all of these podcasts, but I did one piece of research that you could not and would not do, and that piece of research is playing the PlayStation VR game Groundhog Day like father, like son. Wow. That came out in 2019. 
this was a sacrifice by me. I did not play. I we decided late in the game that we were going to be focusing exclusively on Groundhog Day as opposed to different movies, and so I did not. I played about an hour of this movie, uh, this game, uh, and it has pretty bad reviews. Going back to Metacritic, which is very favorable towards video games, broadly speaking, uh, like a a good video game is like an eighty on on Metacritic, whereas like a good but movie, what is like a good story that isn't a video game <laughs> what wink is- wink matt vv and schmidt no one else and you guys aren't listening just go on there you go um but anyway it has a 62 out of 100 on metacritic oh no that's very poor for a video game is very bad it, it it says on how long to beat that it's six or seven hours to beat i was wow. not gonna spend seven hours in PlayStation VR, playing if you a bad want, game. I can I can come back tomorrow morning. You could just stay up all night and do it. Yeah, but I did play it for a while to see what it was about, and it was something else. I'm gonna tell you. Okay, <laughs> open up your email and look at the other pictures nope. that I sent. These are okay. screen caps that I recorded while playing it. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, it, it is. There are several things that jump out at you. First of all, the premise is insane. Uh, you are Phil Jr. You are Phil's son, who is in his 20s or so. Phil is dead. Phil married Rita. They stayed in Punxsutawney. You have a, a brother as well. They had two sons together, but is Phil is dead. Is this Punxsutawney? This is Punxsutawney. You left Punxsutawney just like Phil Sr., you hate Punxsutawney and wanted to get out, so you moved to the big city. You are trying to become an internet celebrity. You have a you, you blog and tweet, and you have a deal with Streamber or something like that, some fictional streaming company. And so you go back to Punxsutawney to visit your family. That middle picture, the woman on the right, the car, the graphics are simplified cartoons that look like bad Sims or something. The woman on the right is that Ned Ryerson? That's Ned Ryerson on the left, and that's Rita on the right with about 25 years of age, apparently. That's Ned Ryerson's daughter in the middle. Uh, They have a contentious interaction, and I'm guessing they maybe flirt later. Don't know for sure. Didn't get that far. But uh, I did hear he was a real needle nose. Yeah. Um, so the the premise is outrageous. You you are back in Punxsutawney where your family lives lives and your dad lived but is dead. They are they are making a statue in a memorial for Phil because he became a local hero. Your dad never told you about his experience repeating Groundhog Day, but still Groundhog Day was important to your family. That's where your parents met and where he, I guess, like took care of the whole town or whatever. Um, but also this guy, so they do, I guess, a bad imitation of Rita and Ned Ryerson and, and of Phil senior during one cutscene that I got to No celebrities, obviously participated in the creation of this thing. And it is so cynical and mean spirited you you hate Punxsutawney. Your your girlfriend is mad at you for being in Punxsutawney. You're gonna take the first flight out, but uh, uh oh, you actually have a time loop. You there's f bombs being dropped left and right. So weird. 
it's so negative. And and if you look at the the right most, yeah. Can I ask you for you say, is this a bunch of condoms on the table? I did not confirm it, but it sure looked like that to me. There like, is if it's not, what is it? There's Phil merch in the like, park. We're selling sweatshirts and vests and maybe a donut and some coffee cups and condoms from when he hooked up with those young people when he was here before. Yeah. Uh so it's the whole vibe is bad. The graphics are bad. Bizarre. The acting is bad. The imitations are bad. The actual interaction is okay. You can interact with a lot of objects and as you may expect it is um, a lot of things go wrong and then you loop and you try to fix the things that go wrong. But they are like so obvious and over the top. Like you start off in your bedroom in your house and you go downstairs and then within a few seconds, kids throw a snowball through your kitchen window and almost hits your mom and there's broken glass in there. You, your cat pushes a vase on top of the fishbowl and breaks the fishbowl and the fish is flopping around and your sis, your net, your niece uh, is vegan and is mad that there's not a smoothie available and she storms out and then she gets in the car and she doesn't know how to drive and she busts through the living room wall with the car because she accidentally gets in a huge accident. And it's you know, all that's a like, problem I have a lot of the time. Whenever I'm around someone who doesn't know how to drive I forget to like tackle them and prevent them from driving because that's how the world works. Yeah. And then, and then you have a conversation with your mom and Ned Ryerson and Ned Ryerson makes a lot of the, um, is Ned Ryerson a hundred years old now? <laughs> yeah. And he's, and he's like, says like, he's like Bing and stuff like that and talks about life. Oh, good. I'm it's really like glad he still says Bing. really the same. And then you go to the ceremony and you the ceremonies can't. Oh, because oh, your your niece goes to the hospital because she got in this car accident, and so the ceremony is canceled. But you're still there, and Ned Ryerson is selling hot dogs, and he talks about how his wieners are delicious. And the insurance game dried up, so he's got to be a hot dog salesman now. And uh, you told you tell your streaming overlords that the uh, ceremony has been canceled because your niece is in the hospital, and so he can't do it. And it's going to be rescheduled, and they're mad at you, and they're and they just say like, "Well, record whatever you can. Like, we need footage." And then uh, Ned Ryerson's hot dog stand catches the fireworks display on fire, and fireworks go off, and everything catches fire, and people are running with very slow, very poor anim- animation out of the park. And then your mom yells at you for not helping people while there's like this disaster going on. And then you go to the bar and get drunk with the same bartender from the movie who also has to be like 150 years old and and I get drunk and I uh then I go into this weird surreal dream sequence where I put together a puzzle and then I have a memory with Phil senior and that's when he ta- he tells me about time being weird and I'll tell you about my experiences sometime later but obviously he died before that happened and then you wake up and it's groundhog day again and then you can start trying to solve things and so, but there's a lot of interactive stuff. There's like, there's decent manipulatable objects to play with. Uh, but every, all the premise and the acting and the tone and the imitations and the graphics are terrible. I do not recommend the Groundhog Day VR game 
listener. What year did you say this came out? I believe it was 2019. This, this first off, this very much feels like a thing where there was like some deal in the contracts where like the screenwriter had the rights to sell just this part and nobody else could tell him shit. This makes no sense. I don't know why any movie studio would ever, like you would think you would value literally any intellectual property enough that you would say, no, we're not letting morons make VR games about it. Um, like there must, there must be some weird loophole where somebody was able to solve this, the rights to this truly bizarre. It, it sounds like all the most miserable parts of the movie combined with nothing good that ever happened in it. Yeah. They, they like took the lesson that like Phil was a jerk and mean to everyone and decided that it was okay to not make him charming and not played by Bill Murray. They fell asleep 20 minutes into the movie <laughs> and then said, I'm ready to make the game. They watched David Letterman in 1993 yeah. and really liked that clip. Yeah. And they said, let's make a video game out of that. I assume that's the, like, they wouldn't show a clip if it wasn't the whole movie, right? <laughs> and so that, that clip should probably do it. He got coffee on Groundhog's Day and he was mean to a lady. There you go. That's that's the prep I did that you couldn't do. I, I could not do that. Uh, Pat, what do you think? What do you think Groundhog Day is about? Um, I, I well, honestly, I think I think it is generally about um, making a difference and like how you treat people matters and kindness matters. Uh, I don't think that it's like. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's not about finding love. It's not about, uh, you know, finding that special someone. Yeah, I just think it's about yeah kindness, having power, and uh, like not not being a jerk. I th- I, I agree completely. I th- I think the movie has a couple big shifts in that we shift from uh, him using his powers to have sex with women. And so thank goodness we shift from there, but he shifts to darkness and he shifts to the idea of uh, nothing matters and everything is a waste of time. And I'm here for stupid reasons and I'll just amuse myself and or kill myself. And then uh, when we hit, we, we have allusions to it throughout, but when we really hit the scene with the unhoused person, everything really changes. And I think the movie adds new stakes there because what it really accomplishes is that it's no longer enough that he can do whatever he wants to on this day. And he learns that he can't fix everything in a day. And there are things he needed to fix before now, you know, it's too late. It's, you know what, a good fucking idea would be help people today, but you already didn't help people. Yeah. There are people who you can't save anymore. Yeah. That scene, um, the studio didn't like it. They thought it was too depressing and dark and like, you know, why, why do you have to have this guy die? And Harold Ramis said that that was, among other things, I don't, I, the one that I saw, the only thing he talked about that specific scene was essentially that was the scene 
where Phil realized that he wasn't God or a God. Yep. Like he, yep. he couldn't do it all. Like he was, he was experiencing this thing, but he was not godlike. And there are things he couldn't change. Yes. I, I, I didn't know that, but that's exactly correct. And my next note was, I can't believe this is in the movie. And I felt like it would never, ever be in the movie today. And this is where the movie becomes transcendent for me. And it becomes a thing where like truly a person realizes there are things beyond themselves and that it, it, it's fucking cool that I know how to redo my days. But I, I exactly just as you said, you're not a God. You're just a guy who's got some tricks and you can try to do stuff. And maybe you should go out into the world and try to do something for somebody else since you can't do it for this person because you already fucked up too much. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be this guy. It'd be some guy in Pittsburgh. But there was some guy in Pittsburgh who needed his help yesterday, and he didn't help them. And I think that's what the movie is really most successfully doing. Um, I think in the end, for me, the idea of the movie is that you it seeming or looking like a good person is of no value. And being a good person and doing the right things and letting other people find their way to you, that actually does things for people. Yeah. And that's that's the lesson he ultimately learns. Like tricking, and it's, it's, it's honestly what he's doing with those women. He's tricking them into the idea, I'm the kind of person you want to meet when he never was. And he realizes that actually being the kind of person that can help people, even if he does, regardless of the extent to which he goes out of his way to do it, just doing the right stuff will help people and will make the world a better place. Yeah. And, and in the interviews, um, Harold Ramis and uh, Danny said that they are like, they were not spiritual people. They were, they were, you know, they were humanist. They, they viewed this as a humanist movie. Uh, and Harold Ramis particularly said he immediately started getting feedback from like every different religious group on how they liked the movie and how they felt that it affirmed their beliefs and how obviously Harold was one of them. Like Buddhists were like, this is, this is, this, we love this. This shows, you know, and, and fundamentalist Christians were, were the same way and uh, Jesuits were the same way and all these different groups reached out and said that they loved the movie and it, and it felt like it spoke to their beliefs and he was very surprised by this and somewhat touched. Um, but, he, but again, he, he wasn't aiming for any of that. And he, yeah, it was just about the human experience and the human condition and not about you know, spirituality in any way. But, but it, I, everyone was able to identify something in it uh, that, they, that they saw. I, I, I love that completely. That makes me, I didn't know that. That makes me really happy. And I, because it is such a general idea of what it is to be a person or specifically in most cases, a spiritual person of just no, for real, you have to go do something that isn't about you. And he eventually does that. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, I would assume most people who are still listening have not seen that. So I would recommend if, if you ever flip around and you see it's on like TBS, put it on. Well, thanks for chatting, Johnny. Uh, happy Groundhog's Day. And I hope uh, 
we continue to do this in the future. I think it should be a cinematic holiday because of this rock solid foundation of a new genre founded by this great movie. Last question. Don't have to specify the format, but choose a holiday you think should have the next uh, like film genre behind it. So I'm making up a new genre, just like Groundhog Day made up a new genre. But don't worry about what the genre is. I just want the holiday. So like we have Christmas movies, we have Halloween movies for sure. We have Groundhog Day movies. We probably have Valentine's Day movies. We could say Valentine's Day. I'll give you Valentine's Day. Um, there's not. I'm trying to think of another good holiday. Really, it's not a ton. They could release all the. Uh... Avatar movies on Earth Day <laughs> or Arbor Day or one of those. There's there's a thousand in the works apparently. Yep. Oh, the correct answer is Juneteenth. Uh Juneteenth genre of like extremely powerful black led movies would be a very successful and good idea. I was thinking like, of something start along like lines. this year. Yeah. I was thinking something along the lines or like Martin Luther King Jr. or something that is powerful. Um, like it starts with, they release like two black Panther movies and then the, they, 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 they get, they shoot two at once and they schedule them one year after the other. And then the third year there isn't one. And then like three movies all line up to go have like big, powerful, black led and written and directed movies all coming out and then instantly it's just a thing i think i think that would be successful and a good idea similarly kind of like we discussed leap day movies it's the day that doesn't count it is a free it is the purge it is a bacchanalia it is kind of like a time loop in that there are no consequences to your actions but there's not actually any metaphysical magic to it. It's it's just the day that time forgets because everyone agrees that that's the case, and that's just a new genre. So we have Leap Day William from 30 Rock, and I think it's Amy Adams, if not some other redheaded lady. Is that right? As a yeah, Leap Day movie? I remember that existing. Um, do you want to jump off from those movies or do you think there's some other angle that the leap day movies will take leap year with a 33 on Metacritic starring Amy Adams, Matthew Good, Adam Scott, John Lithgow. Adam Scott is in that movie. I had no idea. Yes. I have not. He's like the guy who gets proposed to. Uh, I'm guessing that would be Matthew Good, who is Declan. But I don't know who Matthew Adam Scott is. is third listed, so he is maybe a, he's probably like an ex boyfriend or yeah, some other love interest, perhaps. Ooh, but I would now if you tell me that Adam Scott is the gay friend in some terrible casting, I will watch this movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay, it's on. Okay, Pat, we are doing a. Uh, even though we're not getting a February 29th this year, we can do a February 29th podcast. And how how much have you watched all the Leap Day William Thirty Rock episodes? No, I have. So 
you watch that and I'll watch Leap Year, which, by the way, sounds fucking dire. But I'll watch that and we can, we can discuss that. I'm, I do not commit to this. Plan. How dare you? I already, you know, I feel pretty good about my cinematic podcast schedule between the holidays, Halloween, now adding Groundhog Day every year and Oscar nominations every year, which is Groundhog Day, Oscar nominations, Leap Day. It's a pretty tight window. Honestly, even without Leap Day, it's too much. You got to move one of these around. Yeah. The Oscars are really late this year, so we have a little bit. What, what, when were the Oscars this year? They aren't, they're not, they aren't up yet. They're, the nominations. I know out. we don't have nominations yet, but when is the show? I, it's like the end of March. Oh, it's wow. It's really, really late this year. Yeah. Have you, have you avoided stuff as you usually do? For the most part, although I'm confident that there's not going to... Obviously, I'm not going to an in-person marathon this year again. Uh, I don't think there will be an in-person marathon this year, but maybe people will start to go back wild. But um, So I'm a, I'm a little less scared to start watching stuff streaming beforehand because I'm probably just going to be streaming everything to overall. Um, but I, I, yeah, I haven't seen very much. Uh, let me tell you, I saw, I saw The Lost Daughter... Pat, are you you motherfucker? You have a problem. You love the lost number. Daughter? Let me tell you, I was just about to go into. I have actually seen. I am watching the Oscar movies this year. I decided it was it was my New Year's resolution. And let me tell you, number one, licorice pizza. Number two, lost fucking daughter. Don't need to hear from you about your bad takes. I love the lost daughter. How dare you? What 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 other dumb things you gotta say? I saw Dune and I like Dune a lot. And I, I didn't watch Dune, but I'll probably watch it eventually. I'm excited for real for ongoing Groundhog Day discussion, and I hope that we continue. And I want to thank you very much, Johnny, for your time. It was lovely. I hope people stick it out for this insanely long Groundhog Day discussion. Obviously, we love the movie, we love time loop movies, and I hope other people do too. It's a great movie. You're a great pal. I had a great time talking about it. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye.